0: You can always get on at the beginning of a month. Or any time during the month, but you know there's new things every month. All right. After Easter. After Easter. After Easter. <laughs> Some of you felt like that after Easter. After Easter. Okay. So, I wanted to take one more week and pick up on the story. Because there's a the resurrection. And then... Right. I mean now what now here's where we're at right post-resurrection so after easter um i'm going to do with that um and i want to show you a video which might seem like a total non sequitur but give me a chance and i will i will connect it in um this is a video of cancer cells normal healthy cells are programmed to die and be replaced by new ones but cancer cells shown here in Brown, don't die. They live on, dividing and dividing, crowding out the healthy cells and spreading, often through the bloodstream and the lymph system to other organs. Oh no, that's terrible, right? I mean, that's not super encouraging. Um, And I'm sure you've seen other kind of videos, whether it's in school or just happen to see them, where it will show how like cancer cells will like grab onto a healthy cell and like just eat it up right you've seen that just devour it okay we'll keep that picture in mind and we're going to come back to it in a minute okay we're going to start in matthew 27 after easter now what after easter now what matthew 27 we have to go back for a minute before resurrection to pick up everything we need so matthew 27 starting at verse 51 by the way there's um bibles in the pew the pew the chairs um, you can love the church, kid. Um, chairs, and if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take um, one with you. We've got a box of them, we'll replace it. But um, Matthew 27, I'm reading from that translation, New Living Translation, starting in verse 51. Then behold, right, Jesus is on the cross, he's dying on the cross at this point, um, and he has breathed his last breath and said, It is finished. And when that happens, it says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection. Then they went to the holy city, the resurrected bodies, went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the Centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, "Truly, this was the Son of God." Yeah, as if you needed more proof, but if you didn't have enough proof, with all the healings and the raised up, right? Okay, now the graves are bursting open. People are walking around and testifying about him who've been dead for like, who knows how long, right? Maybe he was the son of God. Yeah, he was, right? Um, Here's the part I want to take. So it says, when this happened, when Jesus gives up his spirits and says, finished, the veil of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, right? Someone just come tear at it from top to bottom, it tears. So the significance of that, just very quickly, if you're new to the faith, um, in the Old Testament, when God um, called out the people of Israel to be his people, to show his glory, that all the nations would be saved, um, he gave them a place to worship called a tabernacle, which eventually becomes the permanent temple um, in Jerusalem. And in this tabernacle, there's three spaces, right? There's this outer court where anybody could come. Even someone who wasn't a Jew or part of the faith, they could come to the outer court and they could hear the prayers. They could participate in what God was doing and possibly convert and believe in, in the Lord, the true God. So the outer court. People came into. There's fellowship, right? High-fiving happening there. Okay. And then there was the inner court, right? Where there's worship. There's the, um, it's, you know, it's more holy. It's not right? Holy things are happening. And then there is the holy of holies. So there's the outer court, there's the holies, there's the holy of holies, right? There's these three separate areas. The holy of holies, only one person ever went into every year. It was the high priest. Only the high priest could go in. And he would go in and he would offer sacrifice, right? He'd bring some of the sacrifice into the altar of the Lord because in the holy of holies, what the presence of God was when the presence of god even just like the shadow of it came out it killed people right because they're like sinful and holy people who couldn't handle god's presence right so he wasn't like trying to hide and be like i'm make it hard for you he's like i don't want to kill you so <laughs> my manifest presence will be will be in this place now god can be at all places at all times but his manifest presence is a different thing right right cuz the Spirit of Christ lives within you. You're not always aware of that, like when you're mopping your floor. But there's other times when you're worshiping where you become aware of like the manifest presence of God. It's right. So the priest, once you're the high priest, would go and offer sacrifice, go behind the Holy of Holies, and to do that he would have to wash very specifically and get clean, be ceremonially clean. And then he would go back behind the curtain and he would offer this sacrifice. There was like a ritual he had to go through. Um, if he was not clean, like he's a bad guy, it didn't go well from the presence of God. He would die. That's a bummer, right? You don't know, like if you're the great high priest. Why would you not, why would you not just make sure, like go forgive the dude. You know what I'm saying? Like do what you need to do. I don't know. But anyway, um, so because this, was a problem at times, they actually tied like a rope to the person going in with bells on it. And as long as they heard the bells, they knew he was moving. (laughs) If the bells stopped, they started pulling. (laughs) So listen, God is full of love, but he's also holy. You know what I'm saying? Like, we tend to forget sometimes, like, whoo, there was fair warning, right? Because he's also merciful. He's not like gonna, he's, it doesn't, it's not doing his heart good to like strike people dead. He was not, willing that none should perish, right? But that was just the reality of it. So that was the Holy of Holies. So behind this curtain, this veil, which was, we think of like a veil, it's, it's like this thick, it's like 12 inches thick. Behind this veil is the Holy of Holies. What happens when Jesus says, it is finished? That thing rips open. What do you think that means? The manifest presence of God will not be confined any longer to this place. And the graves begin to open, and resurrected bodies start proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Come on. That's good. What happens? There's a seismic shift that happens in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus. The Old Testament prophets prophesy all the time the coming Messiah who's going to rule and going to reign, going to set us free. Sin is no longer going to rule. He's going to rule, right? There's this idea of coming Messiah. What they didn't understand was there to be a time in between longing for the Messiah, the Messiah comes, and then comes to rule and reign. Jesus says, I haven't come to judge, yet. I've come to seek and save the lost. And Peter tells us in his epistles, if Christ hasn't come back yet to rule and reign, why? It's not because he's forgotten, Peter says. It's because he wants more people to be saved. Because during this time, you can be saved. There's coming a time when that window closes, right? Are you with me? Okay, so the people in the Old Testament said, hey, We're praying for this Messiah to come that sin wouldn't rule because sin ravaged people. Sin had authority before the new covenant. Jesus comes when it says things like, and he took the keys of death and hell, like, and now all authority has been given to him, right? Post-crucifixion, resurrection. There's a seismic shift that happens at it is finished. Sin loses its power at it is finished. And now the people of God are able to repent of their sins and be filled with the Spirit of God. This was not possible before it is finished. We've been made holy in his sight. In the Old Testament, they'd come and they would bring their sacrifice for their sins, and the sins would get rolled back for one more year. So by the time that you died, all your sins have been rolled back for one more year, and there are a huge mountain in front of you and it is finished, the sins are wiped away. They're wiped away. To be remembered no more by the Lord. Come on. That's a huge deal. Think about if you were like, I don't have to die today for my sins, but I have to remember all of them, and the guilt and the shame, and none of that is carried for you yet. Like, it's hard for us to understand, I think, living in the new covenant, what it was like to live in the old covenant. All your guilt, all your shame, all of that is still on you. You're just not dying yet for it. Right? It is finished. That veil opens. Ooh! And now, the devil is defeated. He is defeated. Do you realize he has no authority in your life unless you partner with him? And sometimes we do, right? Sometimes there's lies and we just get into agreement with them. Sometimes the lies seem like humility. Right? But unworthiness is a lie. Because I've been made worthy in Christ. It's not humility. It's a lie I've partnered with. And I've said, hey, take some some power in my life. Take some authority. I'm going to give it to you. Are you with me? Sin has no hold on you if you're a believer. It's a mirage. Now, we know there's habit. We have habits, those are hard to break. Sometimes we have habits connected to our sin, but even that, what does 1 John 1, 9 say? He's talking to believers. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Every unrighteous path, right, in my mind, those habits. Listen, sometimes I think we just don't stay at the altar long enough. Like we feel bad about stuff, we get forgiveness, and if we just press through, we get all of it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you need just stay in his presence for a minute, and let him finish the cleaning job. You know what I mean? In my mom's generation, they called it tearing at the altar. Right? I don't want to just, if I'm dealing with an issue of sin, I don't just want to come to the altar and say, I'm sorry. I want to come to the altar until he is, and let him do the job until I hate it. I just, whew, I'm glad. I'm glad I got a pass on that one. No, I hate it. And if I'll let him, he will so thoroughly change my heart and my habits so that sin has no hold on me. In the New Testament, believers aren't called sinners. They're called saints. Now, depending on which church tradition you grew up in, if you grew up Calvinist, you probably heard a lot, of, we're just sinners, just sinners, just a sinner. Listen, you were a sinner. You were a sinner, Now you're a saint. Set free. Now you're a slave to righteousness, not to sin. That's just Romans language straight to you, right? You're a slave to righteousness now, not to sin. It doesn't have to have a hold on you. John 20. So the veil's torn. The presence of God is now, like, manifest on the earth. John 20. Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection. Verse 19. Thomas isn't there, by the way. (laughs) That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands inside. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Woo! Woo! Before crucifixion and resurrection, he came to him and said, Follow me. Follow me. I've got the Holy Spirit. You don't yet. You just follow me. Right? What does he say now? Now I'm sending you. (sighs) You've got the Holy Spirit. Are we still following his example? Are we his disciples? Yes, we are. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were going to go now, not just walking in his footsteps. They were going to go to lands his feet never touched with the Holy Spirit guiding them when you're saved the holy spirit comes and dwells within you the indwelling of the holy when you are saved the holy spirit comes to dwell within you the bible says he, the holy spirit comes to lead you into all truth right and the holy spirit post crucifixion resurrection was going to be convicting the entire world of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment If you read John 14, 15, 16, that work of the Holy Spirit, right? But then something else happens. Acts 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus had told them back in John, John 14 through 16, he says, listen, I'm gonna go. He's prophesying after his resurrection, he said, I'm gonna go to the Father. But don't worry. It's better for you that I go, because if I go, the Holy Spirit will come to you in power. And that's what you need for this next phase. Right? And you will do even greater things than I've done. Three of us are so excited about that. (laughs) Acts chapter 1. So Jesus is now getting ready to fulfill his prophecy. He's getting ready to ascend to the Father. And he says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But... Like, you're worried about this. But here's the better thing. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So these are people he had already breathed on and said, received the Holy Spirit. Like we do at salvation. But he said, now he's going to come. This is different. Go wait in Jerusalem until he comes on you with power. So now the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is leading me into all truth, right? There's this internal work happening in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but what he's talking about is now there's an external work I want to do through you by the power of the Holy Spirit, so go and wait for it. Wait for that baptism. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, on the day of Pentecost, which was a feast that the Jews celebrated, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So these believers, they've been in this upper room for days. Because Jesus said, wait. Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. So they've been praying together in unity, it says, in, um, in Acts chapter 1. They've been praying together, and now the Holy Spirit's come. Come upon them in a way that they actually look drunk. It says later, later on, it says they, people were laughed at them. They were like, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. You people are drinking early. You know what I'm saying? Like, clearly they are very overcome what the Holy Spirit has just done. And they didn't say like, this is amazing, let's never leave this room. What'd they do? We've got to go find some people that don't know yet. We've got to go find some people that haven't experienced God in this way yet. And they leave that upper room and here are all of these Jews from all over the world who after the Feast of Pentecost are going to go back to all those nations but they're going to go back saved and take the gospel to all those nations they've come from. Pretty cool. So they see them, and the believers, they're speaking in tongues, and we know from what Paul says, some of you speak in tongues of angels, some of you speak in tongues of men. Right? All this is from God. God gave some of these people the ability to speak languages they'd never learned. And so, people from all over the world are hearing the gospel preached in their language. And they're like, wait a minute. These people are from backwater. Can anything good come from Galilee, really? These are Galileans. What are they doing speaking these languages? Are these people from Jackson? And then Peter steps up and he starts preaching a sermon and it goes like this. I have five keys for you to have the most comfortable life ever. (laughs) Here are three keys to get God to do stuff for you. Peter steps up. And he preaches like the worst sermon ever. If you don't count in the Holy Spirit. But he preaches exactly what the Holy Spirit is saying. And the sermon's like, hey, this Jesus who you murdered, <laughs> that's his sermon. Turns out he was the Messiah. But he's given you a do-over. Come on, that, his sermon was like, He did not mince, he was, he wasn't purposely trying to be rough, he's just saying, you need to know what's true. And here's the truth is, and at the end of his sermon, and I'm not gonna read it all because it goes on for 37 verses, verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for your forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you and to your children and to those who are far away, right, that they're going to, including us, um, who've been called by the name of the Lord, by who've been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. He already had them. Close the deal. No, he keeps preaching for a long time. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Listen to this. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. 3,000 people got saved on the street and got baptized. How does that happen? Well, clearly at some point, number 723 is getting baptized by the person who first got baptized. I mean, at some point, just numerically, numerically, this is actually important because the, the early church is exploding so fast no one person could control it. It wasn't a highly controlled system. It doesn't mean there's not wisdom in raising people up and the Bible gives us wisdom and all that kind of stuff, but listen, when the Holy Spirit's moving, it's going to go faster than people can control. And at some point you have to decide Jesus this is your church. right? We're going to be wise, we're going to do everything we can do, but at some point Man, Jesus, bless it. The disciples get all controlling. They're like, hey, those guys are preaching Jesus over there. Repentance. And if we don't know them. They didn't go through our school of ministry. And Jesus says, listen, if they're not against us, they're for us. If they're preaching truth, let them preach truth. Again, Acts 2. Next verse, 42. So we have a spiritual seismic shift that happens. The veil is torn. Sin has lost its power. The devil, through the cross and the resurrection of Christ, is completely disempowered. He's disempowered. Seismic spiritual shift happens. Then there's this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathes on them, receives the Holy Spirit. Now there's this baptism of the Holy Spirit and power to go make witnesses. Listen, from the resurrection day until the day of Pentecost, 50 days. The disciples didn't make one convert that we know of. They're still hiding. They've got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They're understanding now Jesus' words because the Holy Spirit's helping to illuminate it to them. They haven't made one convert in 50 days. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then like a half an hour period, 3,000 people get saved. Come on. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe that's something we need. And then you have the church. After Easter, what does it look like? Well, now we're in the age of the church. The Holy Spirit's been given. Satan is disempowered. And the church looked like this. Acts two forty two. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. All the believers? You mean, you don't have to have a PhD to serve communion? You mean that together, As people without name tags, we can break bread and remember what the Lord has done and remind each other what Jesus has done and encourage each other in what Jesus has done. Yes, they broke bread together, including the Lord's Supper. They were sharing together in their homes. Remember what the Lord has done. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Every single day people were getting saved. In that environment so yeah after Easter now what well I think we should look to the early church after Easter now what I think even within this body we can feel the Holy Spirit's been there's something just percolating right the Holy Spirit's been stirring us up now what well, what it looks like is every single believer is on mission every single believer is on mission to go make disciples. To reveal the glory of God. And it's not work. I just partner with him. He's doing the work. Is the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment, right? It's him that heals. We're just partnering with him. The early church was getting so immersed, right, in the presence of God every day. Every day they're talking about the teachings. They're meeting at the temple and they're talking about Jesus, right? They're encouraging themselves in the Lord and out of the, out of the overflow of, of your heart, your mouth speaks. So if what I'm filling my heart with is, you know, from boys to men. I just pulled one out. I'm sorry, it's so old. Pulled one out. It's not that it's bad. Well, no, it is, musically it's bad but it's not that it's bad, but you know what I'm saying? Like, out of the overflow of my heart, I'm thinking about, like, romance. Something, right? What am I thinking about? I'm not thinking about anything that's really gonna make a disciple. what I'm saying. Our lives can be so full of non-sinful stuff that we're just distracted from any meaningful living. Right? You know what I'm saying? What do you see in the early church? They're, like, making room. They're dwelling on What the Word says, they're dwelling on the the teaching. They're dwelling on, man, I want to come to the communion table again. You want to do communion with me? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're so, their whole days are wrapped around thinking on the Lord and the ways of the Lord. That out of the overflow of what they're putting in their heart, I mean, it's just coming out. And they're living in a way that's beautiful. Because what they're thinking on is the ways of the Lord. When I'm getting, when everything I'm getting, if I'm like watching daytime TV, which isn't sinful, but if what I'm getting is a bunch of human wisdom about how to solve my life problems, then guess what? That's what's coming out of me. When people have issues, we're trying to solve them with worldly wisdom. And it's not that there's like no, there can't be any benefit in that, but so often it has nothing to do with godly wisdom, Right? Go to any barber shop. Go to any hair salon. You will hear problems and you will hear solutions. Worldly wisdom solutions. I'd leave that guy if I were you. He's such a jerk. Why'd you ever get married, dude? That Paul and Jane, blah, blah, blah. Right? God's wisdom is totally different than worldly wisdom. And so they're filling themselves on scripture, they're filling themselves in the teaching, they're encouraging each other. They're coming to communion table. And so out of the overflow of living in this truth and living by the Spirit, I mean people are getting saved every single day. And I feel like, just as a church, just like as a family meeting for a second, I feel like this is where God's bringing us to. How many of you feel that? Where he just you just feel this intensity, just press in. Right? And And we're counting the cost of saying, you know what, God? I'm okay if my neighbors think I'm funny. If it means they get transformation, if it means you heal their marriage and they find you, I'm cool with that. (laughs) So back to the cancer cells. Back to the cancer cells. Before it is finished in resurrection. That's what sin looked like. Jesus looks at crowds and they're like tormented. Right? He's like, they're tormented. They're like sheep without shepherds because sin was ruling. Sin had power. The enemy had power. He was tormenting people. At it is finished in resurrection, the enemy is disempowered and sin is disempowered. You can partner with it. It can become powerful in your life. But it gets disempowered and so Before it is finished in resurrection, that's what sin looked like. Constantly harassing, constantly attacking, like cancer. But what happens after resurrection? The tables totally flip. And now it's the sin cells that die easily and the righteous cells that live on forever. Now righteousness is way more powerful than sin way more powerful, way more powerful. There are people, I'm sure you've talked to people I've talked to, where they've, I mean, they have crowded so much sin in their lives. They've been living crazy, crazy, crazy lives, doing stupid, 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 stupid things. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they'll have a memory from camp from 11 years ago, where they really felt the presence of God. And all those years of the enemy packing sin into their life, wanting to still kill and destroy, one memory of the righteousness of God and his presence. And they're like, that's what I need. Can you imagine being the enemy of our souls right now, how frustrating it would be? Like, I got them to sin one million three hundred five hundred times. And one exposure to the presence of God ruined it all. Ruined it all. And won't let go of them stays in their memory, pops back up. Come on! That's New Covenant. That's after Easter. That's what it looks like. Under the Old Covenant, anything unclean could contaminate any clean thing. Right? So like a dead animal carcass, you couldn't touch it or you became unclean. And then you had to go through all these ritual cleansings to get clean again and wait a certain amount of time. And Right? Anything unclean could contaminate anything clean if it just touched it, right? Just brush up against something unclean, now you're unclean too. Cancer cells. What happens under the new covenant? Whatever's righteous makes its unclean righteous. Just the opposite. Now the the unclean thing becomes righteous by touching the righteous, Come on, come on. We need to understand who we are and the time we're living in. And we need to take advantage of these days and redeem the time. What is righteous in you is more powerful than any temptation that comes at you. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. build up the muscles of your spirit through his word, through being in his presence. What is righteous is more powerful than what's not righteous. And listen, all it takes is the church remembering who she is and crying out to God. And it doesn't matter how unrighteous the nation has become, here he comes. Here he comes. Here he comes. We just be like, man, I wish there was another great awakening. I hope that happens someday. We know what happens. If the church will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways and cry out to him, he will heal their land come on. What is righteous is more powerful than the unrighteous. Don't worry about what your TV says and how it seems like people have power who are promoting so much unrighteousness. In the blink of an eye, they can be disempowered. In the blink of an eye, they can be disempowered or saved. You just never know. You never know what he's up to. But when we partner with him, we know what we get. And that's him. His manifest presence and his glory. If you would stand Worship team, if you come. Prayer team, come on up. There's folks who can pray with you. There's folks who will be here on each side. Also folks who will be in the back on each side. If you're far from God, <laughs> if you're far from God today, listen, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of reconciliation. I want to encourage you to come and pray with one of these folks who's up here. If you know you're far from God, Maybe you're sick in body. You need healing in your body. Come and pray with one of these folks. Up here or back on the two sides. Maybe in this sermon today, God's stirring some things up in you. And you just want to say them out loud and pray over them with somebody. I encourage you, come and get prayer. Let's take time. Because here's the thing. Once we leave, all the distractions of life hit us in the face, right? So if he's stirring something up in you, pray over it. Say it out loud with a prayer partner. Pray over that thing. Seal that thing. Seal it. You can also pray with any believer near you because every believer in this room has the kingdom without measure. If you want to kneel at your seat or come kneel at the altar, you can do that too. If you want to respond in worship, you can respond that way too. But let's take some time to worship and let God seal the things he's speaking to us. Amen?
1: you need to just find your place, do what you need to do if, like we said, prayer partners are up here. Um, We're going to praise together, sing. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The king of glory, the king above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings oh this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear your
2: life that I would be set free
1: oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me who brings our chaos back into order who makes the orphan Son and daughter, the king of glory, the king above all kings. Who rules our nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The king of glory, the king above all kings. Come on, sing it out. Oh, this is amazing grace. The king who conquered the grave. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. It out. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing. We love your presence, Father. We love your presence. We love your presence. You're good. Speak to us, Jesus. is strong. Oh, your love is strong. Close enough to hold me near. When fear is crippling, safe enough crumbling, I have come to know a love stronger than the grave, that in my darkest hour, raise me up from death to life, now it resurrects strong
0: worship today we're going to receive communion ushers of you come forward Jesus he knew when his crucifixion was near he knew he was about to be apprehended he brought his disciples together for one last dinner he broke bread with them and said this is my body broken for you he took the wine and said this is my blood offered for you now do this in remembrance of me and so we have this opportunity. Every time we come to this communion table, whether you're offering it together in your home or here at the church, we have a chance to remember all that he did on the cross, because we find that we start carrying things again, don't we? <laughs> things that he is that he will carry or he has carried. We're reminded of all the things we can trust him for. He's already paid for it. We don't want to waste anything He's done. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. The chastisement that brings us peace is upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. He's already carried all those things. Guilt, shame, the anxiety, lack of peace, sin, sickness. He carried that in his body and he says with my stripes you are healed Paul tells us in his epistles we come to the communion table we to come with our hearts set right before him we don't want to come with any unforgiveness bitterness in our heart it's a chance for us to clear the decks clear the decks and say father forgive me as I forgive those who are in debt to me And as we experience freely what He gives, we are able to give in return. So as we pass out the emblems, you don't have to be a member to take them. We just ask that you're a believer, that you put your faith in Christ, made Him Lord of your life. As you pass these emblems, take a moment before we take them together. Just in your own heart, to examine your own heart. There's any areas, things you've been holding on to, release them to the Lord. Things you've been carrying that He's already carried, release that to the Lord. There's a miracle in a communion. He's present with us in this unique way. Let's take the opportunity, amen? Jesus said, it is finished. And give up his spirit when he was put in that tomb. And then the stones rolled away. There's the earthquake. There's the graves that open. The saints come out and begin to proclaim the gospel. If you think about it. The disciples were hiding. His living followers were hiding. He had to rob some graves to get the gospel out. Let's be wise. He has us. (laughs) He doesn't have to rob graves. (laughs) He has us. As we come to his communion table, let's remember all that he has done. It is finished. The battle's won. Now we're just taking land he's already purchased. We're just taking nations that are already his inheritance. Come on. Come on. Come on. We're just proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. To those who haven't heard the news yet, the battle's over. He's victorious. This week, let's have our eyes open. Where's the low-hanging fruit, Jesus? Where are the hearts that are ready? They just need to see your goodness. They need to hear good news. All of this because of your cross. Because of what you accomplished on the cross. We take this emblem now of his broken body and we take it to ourselves for life. Emblem of his blood that was spilled, and we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and all the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Encourage one another. Amen.